With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, welcome into the All Ball Podcast. It's your boy Doug Gottlieb here. Uh, my man Steve Hawkins is going to join us. Long time, 20 years he was a coach, 17 years the head coach at Western Michigan. Um, was relieved of his duties in March, uh, actually during or right before quarantine. Uh, he's going to join us, kind of reflect on his time getting to know uh, the late, great John Wooden and uh, what, what his run was like at Western Michigan. I want to give you a couple of thoughts, though, on the last, last dance. First thing is this. Can we stop with the Scottie Pippen was made to look bad? Scottie Pippen was actually, I think, made to look good. He was made to look like his contract was terrible. He was made to look like uh, he was a warrior at the end when they won the title and he was playing with a bad back and that he was the one who had the class, the class to say Jerry, uh, Jerry Krause was the greatest general manager of all time. So, Th- those parts made him look good. Some of it, you know, his own words were, uh, you know, did that. But the only negative parts were real stories. I- I'm sorry. He was the guy who was considered soft. He did have the migraine against the Pistons in game seven. He he, he was the one who refused to go in the game in 94. And look, when they asked him about it, he said, I wish it didn't happen, but I would do it again. No one, No one made him say that. No one, this is not Michael Jordan calling him out. And when Jordan did call him out for being selfish, he was being selfish. Jordan also said that he's the greatest teammate he's ever had. And there would be no Jordan without Pippen. Like what, what are we supposed to do? Like what, what kind of documentary did you want? Is it a perfect, you know, even middle of the road, not taking any side documentary? No, it's not. It's not. And I told you it would be, but Scotty Pippen's not made to look like anything other than Scotty Pippen. And much like Horace Grant, he got a huge paycheck when he left town. That's what championships do. I think that's really the part 
that has changed in the NBA. For the most part, guys who got rich got rich after they won a title. That's why Jordan's mentality was it was all worth it if you to finally win, right? To go all in to win because he was never making a bunch of money in his NBA salaries, all on endorsements. And he didn't get any endorsements unless you won something. That changed after he left because of what they built and because of what the new CBA looked like. And so now, guys, they make so much money that if they lose, it hurts them, especially the real competitors, it hurts them. But it is not as devastating to their livelihood and their long-term financial success. That, I think, is the biggest change. And do I think Jordan, Jordan didn't snitch on anybody for the cocaine, weed, and women of his first NBA team? He didn't name any names. Orlando Woolridge was on the team. We all know he was in that room, right? No one, that's not a surprise. These are not breaking stories. The Horace Grant thing, he thought Horace Grant was the snitch. But it wasn't like they didn't give Horace Grant a chance to reply and respond. Of course they did. We just don't believe him because, well, why would you be friends with the writer? The writer's writing a book and all of a sudden you won't talk to the writer? Stop it. Stop it. I loved it, though. It reminded me of just how good the NBA was back then. And I hope we can get back to that place. In regards to Horace Grant, I mean, I I liked Horace Grant in their first run. Um, I don't know if he was the snitch. You know, I I don't. Do I think he was a source? Absolutely. He even said he had a long relationship with Sam Smith, the writer. So he has a long relationship. Sam Smith writes a book. You don't think any of the none of the stuff came from Horace Grant? Come on. I was born night, not last night. And Jordan has the ability to to compartmentalize. Like, you can be a snitch and not be a horrible teammate. For Pippen, you can be selfish and not be a horrible teammate. I think that's what he means. And if you think Jordan's too harsh on a guy who he played with, keep in mind that even though he got paid and he got a huge contract, Horace Grant went to play for a division rival, a team that ultimately vanquished Michael Jordan in the NBA playoffs when he just came out from baseball in 95. So Jordan, who's competitive as hell with his own teammates, let alone his opposition. You don't think that if one of his teammates left mid career and went to an opposition, he played in the playoffs that he would have something for him. Of course he would. Why? Cause that's Michael Jordan. Look, I, I, I like the documentary. Was it perfect? No. Did it miss some things? Sure. But guys are acting like no one got in a fight in practice. Like, or that Jordan was a bully, or I, I don't know. Or that he shouldn't have said, you know, bitch, fuck you to, to Larry Bird. What, are we all supposed to be saints? Nobody speaks this way? Not the sport I know. The sport I know that even your friends you can call the B word to. I, got, I play with a guy, Brett Robish. Dave, his dad, played in the NBA, was a great player at Kansas. And Brett used to score, and I'd be like, good bucket, Brett. He was like, yeah, you bitch, give me the ball some more. <laughs> Come on, bitch, stop being scared. Give me the ball, right? Like, this is in the middle of a game. When I played in Russia, I, I had a couple teammates, and literally the first word out of their mouth was blet. Where you going, blet? What you doing, blet? What you eat, blet? Which is, blet is bitch. That's what they would do. I, I don't, it, this is one of those, hey, I understand you think you're looking at people who are like you and talk like you, and, but they aren't. They absolutely aren't. They're not wired like you. Jordan definitely isn't wired like you. Hell, Jordan's not wired like me. And, and that's okay. But, but his purely driven competitiveness uh, based upon success being measured, well, if you win or lose, he's a success. And I loved hearing every minute of it. I was fascinated by it. 
I can't believe that the Jazz didn't just outright double team him once he crossed half court. And we've had, well, they had to call a timeout. Why'd you have to call a timeout? Why don't you have a signal for if Michael's isolated at the end of the game, we're automatically doubling. Let's just get, make somebody else beat us. Scotty Pippen can't move. Dennis Robin can't make anything other than a layup. Let's make somebody else beat us. And conversely, at the offensive end, on the Malone turnover, that was actually mostly on John Stockton. Back in the old days in the NBA where you had to clear the paint to follow your guy, to stay within a couple feet of your guy, John, Pack, John Stockton was only being pressured by Steve Kerr. Let's not act like it's Michael Cooper or some freak defensive athlete. Right? So you're dribbling the ball up the court. You're John Stockton. Take your time. Take a look. Wait till Jordan clears before you feed the ball in the post. He didn't. Malone played soft and got the ball stolen from him. That's how it happened. I think that one other part that's missed from uh, from the talk of the Bulls management and um, and even Horace Grant or whatever, look at the look at the contracts that Horace Grant signed a huge contract. He was one of the top five played players in the NBA for the next couple of years after leaving the Bulls. And obviously, Scottie Pippen made like a hundred million dollars after leaving the Bulls. And, and I I understand that the Bulls look cheap. All you have to do is research what Jerry Krause apparently wrote in an unfinished uh, memoir that he was writing. And I, I tweeted it out. And essentially it's this, like one, they met after the season in 98. Okay. And after the season in 98, they had all the doctors, all the medical people, front office people, whatever, try to assess things. Like, look, Luke Longley's done. Phoenix offered him a five-year deal. Three years later, I think he was out of the league. He just wasn't moving the same. Now is a center replaceable? Sure. Sure. Uh, Dennis Rodman was done. He played two more years of two different teams, Lakers and Mavericks, but he was washed. So now you got to replace those two players. You'd, you'd have to beg and plead Pippen. And though Pippen played all 50 games after the lockout shortened season and played 40 minutes a game, one, he was never really the same. And two, and this is maybe most important, the information they had at the time, not only was Pippen ticked and wanted to be paid really, really well, and it would have taken a lot of cajoling, also consider that Pippen had a surgery, had, had surgery two consecutive years. Like his body was, then he hurts his back, you know, in the play, hurts his back in the playoffs, had ankle surgery the year before. So are you going to sign huge money? Just pay a bunch of money to Scottie Pippen when you don't know of his health status. And then he had Jordan. And I don't know how people remember, remember he cut his finger. Look at his retirement thing, his right index finger. He cut badly with a, on a cigar cutter. Like that's an all timer, right? Got in a cigar cutter, but he did. So I mean, we look at it like the the Bulls were just Ron Harper was basically washed up. Um, we make Steve Kerr out to be, and Kerr is an incredible leader, an incredible player, but he never started a game for the Bulls. Like he was just a shooter off the bench to fit with what they did. So I think they left at the perfect time. I just do. Would you have rather them getting beaten in the playoffs? This is this is like a Jordan is basically the boxer that says, I want to go out in my sword. You know, don't throw in the towel. I want you to beat, knock me out. And you're like, you know what? You've had enough. And oh yeah, by the way, you go out as the best player hitting the game winning shot on the road, you know, good night, drive home safely. I think it ended perfectly. Was the documentary the greatest documentary I've ever seen? No. Was it entertaining? Absolutely. Did I learn something? Sure. And uh, there's some things to emulate there. Look, let me just kind of sum up the last dance. First, in terms of the game action, I, I still I still can't believe that Utah didn't double-team Jordan. Like, I just, I can't believe it. 
you know, rule number one in basketball, make somebody else beat you. Yes. Steve Kerr hit the shot in the previous year. Okay. Okay. Now in, in this particular year, you had Dennis Robin couldn't score. If you locked him in the gym, Scotty Pippen couldn't move. Obviously it was really smart that, uh, out of the timeout you had, you know, even defensively, remember the bulls had gone small. They had Rodman, but then they had Kukoc and Kerr and Jordan and Pippen. Which, by the way, if anybody wants to argue how the Bulls would be today, they'd be awesome because that would be their small ball lineup. And Robin was an unbelievable defensive player. Couldn't score, but could pass, could dribble handoff, could do all that stuff. They'd be fine. They'd be absolutely fine. And you'd have to think that Kukoc and Kerr and Jordan and Pippen would extend their range and shoot at a higher percentage. It was interesting to watch those guys uh, before game six take, you know, what looked like 30-foot threes, and they were all casting them instead of shooting the basketball. Like it's really remarkable how guys have improved their range even over the last five to 10 years. That's the Steph Curry effect more than anything. Now, Damian Lillard famous for his, his range, his ability to shoot shots, you know, step inside midcourt. It's crazy, but I, I can't believe that they didn't make Scottie Pippen beat you with a jump shot to tell me the jump shot that Scottie Pippen made to win a big playoff game. And he's got a bad back. Like, are you, that's fucking coaching malpractice. Make Scottie Pippen beat you. Make Dennis Rodman beat you. This is basketball 101. I, I still, I, I can't believe it. I also, I thought Stockton, you know, didn't read the defense and it was at least partially his fault. And you got to wait till Jordan clears. Remember the old, you know, illegal defense, illegal defensive rules. You got, you can, there was no, there was no uh, five second count dribbling the basketball you, you can hold the hand of Steve Kerr so he can't reach in there. You can actually grab his hand. You wait till he's open. You wait till he clears. And then you feed the basketball. And then you either cut through or wait, just spot up and wait. But he didn't. He kind of got rid of it quick. I didn't think it reflected well on Stockton. Now, Stockton also got a good look out of the, out of the timeout in the last play. And, and Robin was late to close on a switch. I don't know, I, I, there was some basketball analysis stuff that, that I thought was missed there that I was kind of disappointed in. Bummed I didn't get to talk to talks, tech to talk, talk to text winner. Didn't talk to Peter Vesey was weird, but I thought, you know, all the guys who are in the stories, most of them got to speak and defend themselves with the exception of Jerry Krause, who look, it's a complicated legacy. It really is. Um, and uh, you know, though there are, there have been other dynasties since the Spurs is the most is, is really interesting, which is not really a dynasty because they didn't win back to back. They could have won back to back when they beat the heat uh, they lost the Heat the first year, beat the Heat then the next year. It's a complicated legacy uh, with with the Bulls and with Kraus, but it's not like and they're not, so that's the only one. Obviously, we see what let's see what happens with Golden State. Uh, we saw what happened with Miami, with Boston only winning one. It's really hard to win multiple, let alone six titles in eight years. Th- think about think about what what uh, Phil Jackson was able to accomplish, right? I mean, he won three in a row with the Lakers. So in six consecutive seasons, he won an NBA championship. That's, that, that's crazy. Uh, but I, I walk away thinking Jordan's the greatest ever. I thought he was beforehand. Um, he had an indomitable will. He forced guys to work hard. He forced them to get in line. And if you're offended by his way of leadership, then they probably got rid of you. If he couldn't, he couldn't do it. He couldn't hack it. It's not for everybody. It's, it's not. And it's a sacrifice. But the, the sacrifice is worth it because those teams go down uh, as, you know, the greatest run of the modern era. 
just does. And what's crazy is that a lot of those guys, you forget, they weren't on all six teams. Some of them weren't on three teams. And that's my take. All right, let's get to Steve Hawkins, the now former head coach at Western Michigan. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. All right, let's welcome him in. Um, Longtime, frankly, legendary coach at Western Kentucky. And now looking for what's what's the next thing? Remember, they they won two MAC tournaments, two regular season MAC championships. That they won the MAC West 
eight times over during his tenure. He's won 428 games during his college coaching career. And uh, Steve Hawkins joins us here on the All Ball Pod. Hawk, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, Doug. How about yourself? I'm I'm good. I'm trying to think back. Um, Snow Valley, but I don't remember what year. <laughs> and I don't remember if you were actually my head coach or simply a coach there. Because, And I'll tell you why I want to get to, but do you, what, what do you remember about uh, first Snow Valley basketball, Westmont College in Santa Barbara? What, what are your memories when I bring that camp up? <laughs> do you really want me to say it? Yeah. yeah, man, you can say, you can, so, like, everybody so, knows I was an asshole when I was a kid. I'm an asshole now, so what's the difference? Okay, well, well then good. I, you can say it about yourself. Um, no, it was uh, Snow Valley basketball camp in gosh almighty, I'm going to say late 80s, maybe, uh, maybe early 90s. And um, Charlie Sands and Herb Livesey, the, uh, the outstanding uh, the directors of the camp, uh, come to me after about uh, day one um, of this particular week and said, hey, listen, we got a kid, okay, and I'm telling you now, he's a pain in the ass, um, but we think you're the guy to handle him. And I said, okay, so they put you, they put you on my team, and um, there was, you weren't an issue. You questioned things, but uh, you weren't an issue at all. So from then on, so I don't know how old you were. I mean, I'm going to say middle school, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I went there. I went there, I think, from like time I was 10 or 11, probably till I was like 14. Maybe maybe they let me in. So part of the deal was this. Um, I think I was a freebie. Right. So yeah, it's one right? it's it's one thing to be a pain in the ass. Like I was more of a pain in the ass in the dorms, just playing pranks and being a jackass, you know, whatever. Taking out the slats of bunks, putting icy hot in in, in like a roommate's underwear, like that that kind of stuff, right? Like not not when right. it came to the work. Like when it came to the, I love basketball. Like that wasn't the issue. It was just you know I like to I, that was my way of having a good time. Um, but it's one thing to be a pain in the ass. It's another thing. When everybody else's parent is paying probably at the time 300 bucks and you're not, you know, your, your dad's getting you in gratis. And, and I don't know if you remember, there used to be two sessions. And so, you know, one session would end on like a Saturday midday and the next session would start on a Sunday afternoon. And so I would stay for my dad. My dad would just take me up and drop me off and then, Hey, we'll come get him in two weeks. Right. So then. You know, so like they're doing a solid of letting you stay for that extra day when no one's around, doing all these things for you, doing it for free, and then yeah, you're paying the ass in the dorm. So I I think that's why I irritated Herb and and Charlie more than more than anything else. Uh, it, I think it, it, go ahead. you know it was it was a boot camp. It was unbelievable. I, I've been working for a company called Sports World um, that ran all of John Wooden's camps, and uh, as well as Pat Riley's at the time, yeah. Paul Welch. Yeah. Um, people like that. And I was work, that was my, that was my summer job. And then I, and then I, uh, found out about Snow Valley, uh, through a mutual friend that had also worked. These camps went up there and was like, holy cow, uh, country club, not that Coach Wooden's camps were country club, but, um, the first session at Snow Valley was 6 a.m., you know, and the last game went off at midnight, you know, so it was, uh, I remember Charlie Sands coming out and, Saying, hey, listen uh, to campers. There's 400 campers there. Um, sleep is overrated. That's the first line every week at camp, and the camp would go crazy. And, and um, yeah, it was it was solid. That's for sure. Yeah, I, the first day and a half, no basketball. Right, you do shooting drills and no basketball. 
footwork, defense, yeah. spacing, all all the little things. Okay, so this isn't this is an honest question. I don't know if you know the answer. They still have they sold Snow Valley, um, the the Westmont version of it, and to the Nike camps, whatever. And there's also one at UC Santa Barbara. There's one in Iowa. I've been told some of the same coaches run it. it, it are there like this summer? Are there any basketball? Are there basketball camps like that around? Period. And are there any basketball camps that are going to be around this summer? Yeah, no, um, I don't think that they're number one on Snow Valley. I'm not sure what happened to it. I, I believe, and I, and I, yeah, I don't want to speak completely out of place here, Doug, but I believe that Snow Valley. There was a guy named Don Showalter who's very, yep. very heavy with. Uh, with USA basketball and he used to work a tremendous person and I used to work, um, coach Wooden's camps with him as well. And I believe that he got involved with snow Valley and, um, that may be the Iowa cause he was a high school coach in Iowa. But in terms of camps, I don't know of anybody, um, that has been cleared because of COVID. I don't know of anybody that has been cleared to have basketball camps, uh, this summer. Um, mm. I spoke with, uh, Mick Cronin uh, out at UCLA. Um, we texted back and forth, and I know they weren't having any, and that was as of gosh almighty, maybe three, four weeks ago. Um, how did what was that? How did you get to be, to work John Wooden's camp? Because I know you got a chance to be really close with Coach Wooden, especially in the summers. How'd that come to be? Yeah, um, there was. I was coaching in Southern California. I was. Uh, I just graduated from high school. Uh, uh, Fledgling football career was was done because of knee injuries, and and um, so I was going to Ventura Junior College, and uh, had to get into. And my parents were on my butt about getting a job, and I always knew I always wanted to coach, and and um, not to get too deep into the weeds on this, but basically uh, I found a uh, job board, and uh, there was a, a a freshman coach spot available. Uh, at uh, Villanova Prep High School up in Ojai, California. And um, then I did that for a year, and, and um, I met a guy there that had worked Coach Wooden's camps. And uh, he gave me a brochure, and, and I applied. I used to, I went to Coach Wooden's camps as a kid, and I applied to, to uh, work there, did the first summer as a counselor. Then the next summer, about halfway through, they promoted me to what was called the head counselor, which is basically the assistant director of the camps. So about four, and there, there was more than one of us. I was, I did it. I ended up doing it the rest of or the entirety of the time that he had the camps there. Um, and at uh, California Lutheran College in Thousand Oaks. And um, that's really how it came to be. Now, the the big perk working Coach Wooden's camps for me when I was, uh, when you're that title, when you have the head counselor, job the big the big perk was you picked him up every morning and you took him home every afternoon and uh it was during that time that we got to be we got to be pretty close that's about a half hour drive from thousand oaks to his uh condo in encino and um so we got to know each other pretty well it was during that time also his beloved wife nell uh, had passed away and so coach was uh, coach was very open, uh, during that time. And, um, we got to be, uh, he, he obviously was a confidant. He obviously was my mentor in many ways. He was like my second father. Um, but at the same time, um, he became a friend 
and uh, we brought him back here to Kalamazoo. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, to Western Michigan, um, he spoke as a, at a fundraiser for us in 2006 to help um, to help our team uh, take a foreign trip, and and it just became a, a wonderful relationship. It got to a point where, oh gosh, uh, there was probably a time where you know not two or three weeks went by that I didn't speak to him, um, whether it be about life, whether it be just checking in with them. Or whether it be basketball wise, and I'll tell you, Doug, you know, if you if you had ever spent any time around coaching, what most people know him now as is is you know the pyramid of success. You know, that's what is really carried over um, as part of his legacy. There are people teaching, uh, you know, the pyramid of success everywhere in different versions of it, um, and and certainly and rightfully so. But at the same time, uh, when you got coach involved, even as he got a lot older, when you got coach involved in a conversation about basketball, his eyes changed. Uh, I mean, the, the competitiveness really came back. Uh, his jaw uh, got set, and, and he became competitive again, and he loved to talk basketball still. What was the most interesting thing he said about basketball? Oh, boy. You know, where do you begin there? I, I, I think... I think that the biggest things that I took away from, from him on the basketball front was that it, one, one time he told me it, it took him uh, about anywhere between three and four hours to plan a two-hour practice. And, and he put as much time planning his practices, uh, uh, much longer planning his practices than he did actually conducting them. And, and so, um, I, you know, that was one thing that hit me. So the preparation part, um, he, he took care of, here's something crazy. You've been around basketball your whole life, Doug. It, it's, here's something crazy to think about. You have, you know, back then practices started on October the 15th, you know, and whenever the games began, I, I, I don't know, but let's say you had a month, um, before, before practice, they never scrimmaged except for one day a week. Um, we felt like playing was a privilege. Um, and so it was all about preparation. And, um, then when he, um, and during those scrimmages leading up to the first game, he would make sure that everybody, you know, of course, this is back also when you had a freshman team and a JV team, he would make sure that everybody had played the exact same amount of minutes in scrimmage time against everybody else. And, and with everybody else. Um, he didn't want anybody to have an unfair advantage. Uh, for instance, okay, well, you got to play with, at that time, Louis Alcindor, so you looked a lot better. Um, or Bill Walton, so you looked a lot better. He made sure that everybody had the exact same amount of time. His preparation was something that really stood out to me. Why did he retire when he did? He felt like he retired so early. He had so much more to offer. You know, I've heard him answer that a million times. I don't have anything. I, I really, you know, in all of those conversations in the car, uh, I mean, in the morning we were we were together or we were alone a lot um, because it was so early when you picked him up. Mm-hmm. And it was just uh, the majority of the time it was simply uh, a conversation about what had happened, giving him an update on camp. Uh, but in the afternoon, that was the time that you were almost never uh, along with him. That's when he used, uh, that amount of time to, for interviews. It could be, 
It could be a sports writer. It could be uh, a coach. It could be anybody that wanted to do an interview with them. Um, I would pick them up there at Cal Lutheran, and and we would drive to Encino, and I got to hear all of those questions asked and, and, uh, and to hear him answer all of those. And whenever it came to that question about retirement, his answer was unwavering. Um, he said that until that game, uh, until the semifinal game uh, that year in 75, I believe it was, that he mm-hmm. retired, um, when they won, he was on his way to the media. And, and before he went into the media, he said that uh, he really uh, he told the team that he, that he loved them and that um, they had been one of the easiest teams he had ever had to coach. And that was something to say for the very last team that he would ever coach at UCLA. And everybody was shocked. And he said that he did not know he was even going to say it until he said it. And, and he knew it was the right thing to do. And he, and he never regretted it, never looked back. Uh, what, what, so you get there in the morning. Is he a coffee guy? Was he a tea guy? He smoked cigarettes. <laughs> like, like what? Like, I like to me. That's more interesting than anything else. Like, what was you pick up the old coach in the morning? I know he had a new. I'm sure he had a newspaper at the time. What, what was? What, oh, yeah. what was that like? Yeah, no, it was a. Um, um, to the best of my knowledge, I don't know if he woke up in, in in his in his condo if he drank a cup of coffee or anything along those lines. But the reason I picked him up so early is he wanted to have. Uh, he wanted to eat breakfast with the campers. So we would be back in time and in the cafeteria um, when the campers came down um, for breakfast. And so he would eat. He would he'd go table to table. He'd talk to coaches, talk to players, uh, the campers there. And, and uh, But he would actually eat breakfast uh, there. Um, he never drank, never smoked. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was shortly one of the most memorable one of the most memorable uh, days I ever had was the first time, uh, really in my life, was the first time I got invited into Coach's condo. And it was shortly after his wife had passed away. And um, we were having, we were in the middle of a conversation, and it was one of the rare afternoons that I took him home uh, with, with nobody else in the car. And so as we approached uh, his condo, he said, well, Steve, do, do, you, have, do you have to get back? to camp and then he goes well what am i thinking the camp is named after me he said you can come on in and he said just tell the two directors a guy named hector Macis and another one named hal mitrovich he said just tell hector and hal uh that that i kept you so i went into his condo and we talked and he introduced me to his favorite cocktail um that day which was um welch's grape juice uh with seven up and and that was that was that was about as, as heavily as he ever drank. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, what about his coaching style did you use in the way in which you've coached? Uh, not a lot of it. Um, I, I, you know, in, in terms of style, there were a lot of the teachings um, here at Western Michigan that, that, that I base things on. Um, his definition of success, I actually have a tattoo on my right arm of his definition of success. And so we based and we, are, we took it to recruiting. We took it to everything we did. And I've tried to do what I could to base my life around it. Um, and it, and it drives me, uh, it really drives me daily. Um, we put it on, on everything in the locker room and so forth and so on. But so his teachings and then his fairness, his sense of fairness. Um, so, so the general things, Doug, uh, were the takeaways. The specifics, it wasn't like we ran the high post offense. Um, I was not able to, uh, to stay away from the cursing, uh, that, that Coach Wooden, that Coach Wooden stayed away from. Um, he would never curse, uh, things like that. And, and so I wasn't able to stay away from that. Um, but, but, um, in terms of the general principles, yes. I mean, his definition of success, the, um, success is peace of mind, which is a direct result of self-satisfaction, which comes from knowing you did the best to become the best you're capable of becoming. 
Um, that, that, you know, we've tried to, you know, and I've tried to live by that. It doesn't matter. The scoreboard, as you know, the scoreboard can lie to you. Um, you can win a game and play terribly. Uh, you know, if you play an inferior opponent, you know, you can lose a game and feel great um, because you, you know, I don't want to say great, but you can feel better about it because, you know, if the Western Michigan Broncos were to play the L.A. Lakers a hundred times, they're going to lose 101 games. Um, but in some games, you can play better than in others. You have no control over your opponent. You do have control over your effort, your concentration, your desire, um, your preparation. Those are things, those are standards. Those aren't goals. Those are standards. And, and there's a major difference between the two. And, and so living up to a standard was way more important than reaching the goal of, say, 20 wins. You know, you have no control over injuries, uh, things like that. Um, and, you know, you just, so preparation and, and desire and, and uh, things along those lines were the main things I took away from coach. You were the uh, head coach at Quincy, and it's in Illinois for people who don't, don't know where uh, Quincy University is. You've been an assistant there. You left, went to St. Andrews. You, you came back. Um, you'd been you know, a college assistant. You'd been a, a coach in high school and then a college assistant for a long time. W- what was it like to get your first head coaching job at Quincy and get to call your own plays, make your own team? Oh, it was uh, humbling. Um, it, it, you know, it's something that you really, I was 28 um, when I got the job. It's a Division two school in, in Illinois, Quincy University. Uh, I was the head coach there for nine years, and it was in the best Division two league in the nation, um, the, the Southern Indiana. When I was at Quincy, Southern Indiana, Bruce Pearl was the coach at Southern Indiana, um, uh, Kentucky Wesleyan, and he had won the national championship there. Uh, group, um, Ray Harper was the head coach of Kentucky Wesleyan. They had won championships there. Bob Valvano, uh, Jim Valvano's brother, was the head coach at Bellarmine. Um, there were just some outstanding coach Jim Weitzel, now the coach at, at uh, Buffalo. He was at Lewis University. So some outstanding coaches in in uh, in a great league. And and um, uh, Northern Kentucky was in the league. They were Division two school at that time. Now Division one in the Horizon Conference. And um, it was very humbling because you think you're ready. Uh, and and what, what really happened there, and this is one of the reasons why I, I think whatever success I had here at Western Michigan uh, while I was coaching here, so much of it, I made so many mistakes early. Um, there wasn't a rung on the ladder um, that I missed coming up. You mentioned some of the stops. And there wasn't a, you know, from being a freshman coach to a JV coach, uh, to a student assistant at a D1, to a, uh, a graduate assistant at a D2, to an NAI school as an assistant, back to a D2 as a assistant, and then a head coach at a D2 in Quincy University for the next nine years before I came to Western Michigan as an assistant for three years. And then finally, a head coach as a, at a Division One school. So there, there weren't too many rungs on the ladder that I that I missed. I've, I've slept in cars, um, you know, on recruiting trips because we didn't have the budget. And um, when you start making mistakes at, at the Division Two level, uh, especially in that first year that you're talking about, um, there wasn't. There certainly wasn't social media at the time, and sometimes the media just missed it altogether. 
you know, like calling a timeout you shouldn't have called or making a substitution that you shouldn't have made. And you learn from some of those things um, early on uh, that might have cost you some games, uh, you know, at the time. And uh, hopefully those are mistakes you don't make later on. But I remember being extremely humbled. You know, you think you know it all um, and you're ready for the job. And then you get over there and you find out, no, no, this is much more difficult. Uh, and, and Quincy, you know, it doesn't sound like my – Quincy was a basketball-crazy city and community. And so it was the show. There's two big high schools there, and, and the university was with. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was being put into the fire in my own way, uh, in my own little small world. Uh, you left Quincy to be an assistant at Western Michigan under Robert, Robert McCullum. Why, why leave being a head coach to be a Division One assistant? Um, for the main, for the, and this is one of the things that makes coaching so difficult um, at, at the college level, and that a lot of a lot of folks don't really understand. You're you're so reliant on everybody else to do their job, also. And and um, at Quincy University, the budget cuts were taking place. Um, there were major budget cuts taking place. There was a change in the athletic director spot, and there was a change at, in the president spot. And um, the university had uh, falling enrollment, and and um, it was in some trouble financially. They weren't investing in basketball, and I, as I said, you had a place like Southern Indiana with Bruce Pearl. They were they were investing, and, and so um, I, I just did not see uh, a good future there. Um, losing literally affects my health. Uh, I mean, mental, physical, all of it. Um, the losing, and so uh, we we just weren't. We'd been to a lot of NCAA tournaments. We just weren't heading in the right direction. I felt like I was uh, in a losing situation, so I decided to make the jump. Um, okay, so but what's that like? You go from being a head coach, where you call your own shots. Now you're somebody's assistant. Something you'd done before, but something you hadn't done in nine years. How difficult was that part of the transition? Yeah, the first week it was like, what the hell have I done? You know, because I'd given up all that control. You know, now all of a sudden, you know, you, you, you get the biggest adjustment is you go from working on your own schedule to somebody else's schedule. Um, you know, if coach, if the coach gets pissed off and, and, you know, if your head coach gets pissed off and kicks everybody out of practice, uh, you know, at 4.30 and says, okay, we're coming back tonight at 8 and we're going to finish practice, well, you got to show up. You know, and it doesn't matter if you had a dinner date planned with your wife or not, um, a daddy-daughter dance, something like that. It's all off. Uh, you know, and so one of the biggest adjustments is just going back to working on somebody else's schedule. Now, that was the bad part of things. The good part of things was that it's back to just being basketball. Uh, it was great to not have to go in to meetings with the president or the athletic director and try and fight for your program. It was great to just be back with the guys, you know, to be back with players, player development, recruiting, um, film, watching film, the stuff that you love to do as a coach and spend time with players and, and getting to know them better on a personal level. And so that was the positive part of things. Uh, there's also, there was some good and some bad um, that went along with it, but I, I was really ready for the change. Uh, he gets the South Florida job. Robert McCullum's the head coach. He gets the South Florida yep. job. Um, what was the process like of, of getting the Western job? 
Yeah, that was that was uh, a difficult time um, right there because uh, Western Michigan wasn't sure what they were going to do. It wasn't like they elevated me immediately. And Robert uh, wanted an answer um, uh, pretty quick about whether or not I was going to go with him to South Florida. And so I had to kind of roll the dice a little bit. Um, and, and I stuck around Western Michigan. We were close to final exams. And so I stuck around Western Michigan, and I talked to the athletic director. Uh, her name is Kathy Beauregard. It's still the athletic director. I had talked to her and said, listen, I don't think it's a good time to be leaving the kids. They're in the middle of final exams. She agreed. Um, I stayed on as an interim while they tried to figure it out. And uh, it was about two weeks, about two weeks later, um, um, with the player support. Um, they were the ones that really helped uh, with the whole thing. It was about two weeks later that I got the head coaching job. So it was, it was a little nerve wracking. I wasn't sure we had done our job. You know, we had built the program when Coach McCollum was, it was a, uh, a extremely driven man, um, part of the George Raveling family and um, was a, a tremendous coach and a very hard-working coach. And it really willed the program from when we first got here in 2000 to 2003, from eight wins to then going to the NIT and winning the game, actually, before he took the South Florida job. So, um, you know, it's one of those deals where you do your job and you think you're going to be rewarded. And now, hang on a second, I may be without a job altogether. If Robert needs to make a move down to South Florida, um, or and if Western Michigan decides I'm not the guy, you know where am I going to be? So um, that it, it was a it was a, a tenuous time for sure. The Nikki Glaser podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Then you you get the job, and you immediately do an incredible job, and you have the opportunity to go take other jobs. You know what? Okay, so now you take over at Western. It's different than... Uh, even when you took over Quincy, because when you took over Quincy, you'd been there, but you left for St. Andrews and you came back. So this is a team where you, you know everybody. You're the stabilizing force. You do end up getting the job and staying behind. To take me through your first year at Western. It was surreal. Um, the first year at Western, Western was our best team. And so we had built a team. And then um, that year, we ended up going 26-5. and five and uh, winning the MAC and going to the NCAA tournament. So my first year as a head coach um, in Division One basketball, uh, you know, all of a sudden you turn around and, and uh, we were a bit of a story um, that year. And, and one of the, you know, kind of the teams to watch out for uh, after we got in. And I remember uh, we had beat Kent State in the, in the MAC championship game um, in 2004. And, and I remember the relief. Uh, more than anything else that we had, because we were favored, obviously, going into it. And I remember answering a question in the press conference about, you know, what seed we were going to be in the NCAA tournament, what, what I thought. And I, thought, and I said, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I don't really care. It's just going to be a relief to, to not be favored again. Um, you know, there's been a lot of pressure on, on the guys and on us. And everybody joked about it. And uh, and then our first round opponent was Vanderbilt, and um, through the media types, uh, everybody started picking us as an 11 seed over Vanderbilt as a six seed. We actually went into the game as a favorite again, and so it was a uh, it was a strange, surreal year. All of a sudden, you walk, you know, you dream of these kind of things, but next thing you know, you walk out on the practice court, um, you know, and there's four or 5,000 fans there to watch you practice. And uh, we were down in Orlando that year. So it was a very strange feeling. Uh, it's almost an out-of-body experience, uh, you know, when you're, when you're walking out onto the court for the first time in the NCAA tournament. And we had a tremendous team with some great kids, kids that I'm still in touch with to this day. Um, you know, talked, uh, talked with one of the guards on the team just two days ago, Brian Snyder. And, and so we, it was, it was just a very memorable year, a very special year. Yeah. Mike Williams was great in that game. Uh, uh, yeah. Mario, Mario Moore, uh, 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 lit, lit you guys up a little bit. Um, 
how much do you remember about the game? You mentioned Snyder. He obviously struggled. He won for, I checked the stats, one for nine, did have six assists. Um, you know, you had Ben Reed who went on to become your best player the, the following year. Um, I, I'm, I'm, here's what I'm interested in. So the next year you go to the NIT and then you have a very young team for a couple of years. Was it more rewarding? I think it was about four years later, you end up winning the Mac and you win 20 games. Right. Which was more rewarding, getting that NCAA tournament, the relief in your first year, or rebuilding it and winning the league about five years later? Yeah, we were winning. We had won some some um, Mac West titles. I think we won eight Mac West titles in uh, seventeen years. I was the head coach, and uh, there's something like that, seven, eight. I don't remember. Um, but the 2014 was was the last time we won the Mac uh, overall. And uh, in the MAC tournament, and I think that there was each of them are special in their own way. The first one was always obviously special, and it was a crazy year. Uh, me taking over as head coach, but the 2014 team um, was not favored at all to win it. And um, we had some we had some great players. Shane Winnington was mm-hmm. our center, went on to uh, play for the Pacers for a while, and is still playing in uh, Spain. We had some outstanding players on that team, um, and it was a great team. They really shared the ball well. Um, and so it, it, that one, there was a relief, and there was certainly a pleasure. I was able to enjoy that, I think, more than the first one because I remember sending there Larry Farmer um, was my assistant coach, the, the, the longtime UCLA legend. He was one of my assistant coaches uh, at Western for six years with me. And we stood on the court as the celebration was occurring and people started to cut down nets and, and all of that kind of thing. And both of us were able to really kind of uh, take in the moment, you know. And and, um, uh, I, and so I'd say I appreciated that one probably a little bit more. The first one was more fun. The second one was, was probably more appreciated. You know, it's interesting. The 14 squad, I called your games in Puerto Rico – Whittington, yeah. I'm going to say he was a sophomore. You also had Matt Stainbrook, who went on to be kind of a star at Xavier, you know, lost some weight and he played, you know. So um, it's interesting because I remember sitting with you and you said, you said, look, this, this kid Whittington is going to be really, really good in a couple of years. But, you know, when you're calling and I hadn't called a ton of Mac games. So, you know, you kind of got to trust your judgment on just trust me in a year or two. This This kid has a chance to be a pro. You're like, whoa, hold on, coach. Wait a second. I know you love your kids, right? Um, I want to ask you, though, about about uh, about now the landscape. I mean, you were one of the first to lose one of your best players to the transfer up, right? Now, a lot of times it's a grad transfer, yeah. but sometimes it's a regular transfer. Like, like here, here you are at a Mac school, and there's you didn't leave when you had the opportunity to. Now student athletes are offered the opportunity, whether it's grad transfer, regular transfer, to transfer up a level from you know Mac to Big Ten or whatever. What what are your feelings about where we are now as opposed to when you started at Western in terms of the transfer culture? You, you know what, Doug. And by the way, I got to commend you on your memory because I mean, going back to Hawaii and you calling those games, um, Puerto Rico. It was Puerto we Rico, and Hawaii. I remember it's Puerto Rico. And we also you, you, like what you don't Rico. know is. We, we went out, I went out to dinner with like the referees one night and it was amazing. Like I learned so much more about these referees that I've been killing on air for like 10 years <laughs> and I ended up loving these guys. I went out to, we went out and, and you know, we're having, 
We're having uh, mojitos, and they know everything about the teams. They know who's good, who's not, who's an a-hole, who's not. Like, it was amazing. But, right. yes, of course, I I, remember, I hadn't seen you in forever, and I got a chance to call three of your games. It was a, it was a lot of fun. And, and I remember also, you did, if you remember going back, you did a uh, tournament in Hawaii, the rainbow, or not the rainbow, yep. but the yep. diamond no, head. No, the uh, diamond head, diamond head. Yeah, yeah, and you were, uh, I remember catching you one morning, you, you were taking surfing lessons. So, with my I, wife I, on Christmas Day. That's right. I'm with my wife on yeah. Christmas Day. We took surfing lessons. That, that's a good. That's, that's, that's a good. Right. That, see, see, I'm not the only one with a good memory. Well, we'll see. I've I've been doing my own research. I'm getting ready. I've mentioned to you. I'm getting ready to start my own podcast uh, here in a couple of weeks, uh, most likely. And uh, obviously, I'm hoping you return the favor and come on. But, sure. But um, uh, preparation's the key. That's what I keep hearing. So it, it, um, it, it absolutely it, it absolutely is okay. So okay. So, so why didn't why didn't you ever leave? You had opportunities. You had four, like fourteen. You win the league. You're doing a great job. You have a no yeah. no no flaws in terms of you know NCA stuff where guys can't hire you. you. You've coached in the Midwest. You have West Coast roots. Why why stay? Um, it it it's. Harder to answer that question now, um, and, and be honest with you at, 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 because of what has taken place. You know, I was let go at Western Michigan, you know, on March the 11th, uh, after 20 years at the school. Had I known that it was going to end that way, um, I probably would have left, um, a, a lot earlier. Uh, the, so that's the end of it. Um, the real part of it while I was going through it, uh, it was Coach Wooden. Coach Wooden's words came back to me over and over. They still do come back to me. I remember when I took over at Western Michigan, and um, all I kept hearing from the local fan base, and this meant something to me. I mean, I realize you've got a national audience, but it meant something to me. And when the fans are coming to you and they're saying, please don't use my school, the alumni, please don't use my school as a stepping stone. Please, please, please don't don't do this. Don't do. And I realized what the Mac was, and I had I did have opportunities. Um, but I remembered that. Yeah, I remembered the loyalty part of things. I remain loyal um, to the university. Uh, I like living in Kalamazoo. For people that haven't been here, it's like the beer capital of Michigan. Um, there, there's, I mean, there's brew pubs everywhere, um, and so it's it's just. And I'm a. I'm a beer drinker and a chicken wings kind of guy, you know, and, and so, uh, I, I was happy and, you know, the old saying, don't mess with happy. And, uh, we were winning. Um, but over the course of time, um, the, the facility became a real issue. Um, the investment in the program, uh, just stopped. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of one of those situations where if it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. You know, so um, when I look back on it now, Doug, if I were to, if I were to be able to forecast in the future, and I, and I had a crystal ball, yeah, I would have taken one of those opportunities a long time ago. Um, but I also can't say that I regret it um, because I, you know, I read an interview with Jack Nicholson of all people a long time ago, and it was kind of it was kind of they were throwing a topic out at him, and it was in Esquire magazine. They were throwing topics at him, and he would just kind of spout off about it and the topic came up of regret and he said what's the point he said i don't believe in regret it's not productive and 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 that has always stuck with me i I, i've never 
I feel the same way. Um, I don't regret it. I would have missed out on coaching a, a, a ton of wonderful kids that I have great relationships with to this day. Um, that has meant as much to me as everything else. But professionally speaking, um, you know, I think there's an old adage in coaching, which is, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hell of a profession and it's a terrible business. Um, and, and I would agree with that. You know, it's a tough business to be a part of. If you go back to the first part of our segment, when we were just talking about it's winning, there are so many elements that have to come together. There are so many people that have to do their job. And I'm not talking about just the coaches and the players. All of the support people, athletic director, associate ADs, the marketing people, everything that, that helps you with recruiting. It's all about recruiting. You know, and that's why you see, you know, it was Adolph Rupp a long time ago that said you, you can't win the Kentucky Derby with a jackass. You know, all of this comes down to recruiting. And, and, um, and you have to have the facilities in today's world um, to attract these 16-year-old kids that are on your campus. I mean, the old days of doing it where, where you come in and you do a home visit and you spend a lot of time maybe in the home or, you know, they have a, 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 a full official visit and they take the full 48 hours. A lot of, the, a lot of, the, uh, a lot of these kids make their minds up on their unofficial visits. And so, that I mean, there are very few kids now that take their full five official visits. Um, so they come in on an unofficial visit, and they spend maybe a day, maybe an afternoon on your campus. Uh, you, you've got to hope that everything goes well um, during that time, or maybe they come in for a football game. You really need to show them, and they need to see the right things at that time, and they make their mind up in a hurry. And so the bells and the whistles, that's why you see what Clemson football does or, or what some of the practice facilities that have taken place, um, you know, in, in the basketball world uh, and all the bells and whistles that go into those. Um, you know, again, um, looking backwards, yeah, it would be easy for me to say uh, to take, take the money at another place um, at, at one of the times that I was offered to go someplace else. Um, but at the same time, I remain loyal, and uh, I can sleep on a soft pillow because of that. The Nikki Glaser Podcast. Her roast of Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser Podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser Podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser Podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes 
that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What, what, tell me about the podcast that you're developing. Podcast. Um, so I'm in the process. I'm, one of the unfortunate situations is uh, with being let go in March. Uh, during the middle of a pandemic is that um, no coaching jobs opened up, you know, and, and so uh, I was one of the few uh, fortunate, how about if we put it that way, ones to be let go in the middle of a pandemic. Um, and so what, what uh, I've had to do, I, I mean, I'm not a guy that sits still well. And so I'm, I'm in the process of trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the next year um, and, and whether or not I, I really do want to stay in coaching. And so the, to cut all the way through a really long story, the thing that kept coming back was podcasts. People kept telling me to start a podcast because of some of the observations you just brought up about referees. Like, I want to peel back some of the layers of the basketball world, of college basketball. It'll be basketball-centric, mm-hmm. but it will focus a little bit more on the eccentric than just basketball. So I'm going to talk... I'm going to talk with coaches certainly around the country, but but get into more of the personal part of things. I want to talk with coaches' wives. You know what what's it like to what's it like to sit up in the stands and hear people screaming at your husband? You know, or what's it like when you what's it like when you um, when your husband loves a player and you don't think he's very good? Um, you know, kind of thing. It, we'll get into the officiating world. So anyway, one of our big philosophies. Uh, that I've uh, I've had here at Western Michigan and developed is next possession. It's a metaphor for life. Uh, it's also obviously applicable in the in the basketball world. No matter what happens, you have to get to the next possession. If you score a bucket, you got to get back on defense. And you know, same thing in life. You know, you get let go from a job, or God forbid, there's a death in your family. Um, eventually, you got to get to the next possession. 
And so the podcast will be called The Next Possession uh, with Steve Hawkins. And uh, I'm in the process. I'm trying to do things that you're doing right now. I have no idea what kind of microphone to buy. Um, it, you know, I, I had no idea what a pop pad was. I don't know any of these things. So I'm in the process of trying to figure that out right now. But we think um, we have the guests lined up. Um, we have some guys that are ready to go. And, and I'm real excited about, uh, I'm real excited about it. But, um, uh, yeah, it's going to be a way to kind of peel back and then, um, hoping to do some games, hoping to get behind uh, the microphone, um, and do some games, assuming we have a basketball season this year. I can't wait, can't wait to hear it. I would love, I would love to be a guest. La- last thing, um, how do, how have you handled, especially that first conversation when you come home? You've been a place 20 years, you know, it's all your, you have two little girls, right? That's all they ever knew was Western Michigan Bronco basketball and your wife. How do you like, you know, you, you've handled that with, with players before, you know, giving them disappointing news, whatever. But when it's your wife who has been through all of it, you know, the good, the bad, and your kids, that's all they ever know is Bronco basketball. How do you handle that at home? Um, it was, it was very difficult, especially with the kids. Um, you know, they, my wife and I, we knew, you know, for a while, excuse me, my, my wife and I knew for a while that this was a possibility. Um, there was, uh, the support was starting to go. Um, they didn't offer me a contract two years ago, um, when I was up for renewal and, um, and, and the school was in, was and is in, some serious financial trouble. And so cutbacks were coming and, um, major cutbacks were coming. We were being told by our athletic director to all sports. Then this was before the pandemic. So when the pandemic actually hit, now it's, now it's, you know, probably, uh, three, four, five times worse. But, um, it was still a possibility and we knew that. Um, but I was probably getting expensive for the cutbacks that were getting ready to, to happen. And, um, and so, but at the same, so for me personally, because of some of the things we talked about, Doug, earlier, where, where uh, you know, you're having to go in and fight with the athletic director and the sure. president every day about your program and what you need to succeed and to, and to maintain. Um, when... Uh, when I got let go, it was like, okay, well, there's some relief that I don't have to do that anymore. You know, I became happy and now I've got a whole nother set of problems. Yep. Um, you know, but, but getting out of a loser uh, and getting out of a losing situation now has just occurred. They've made the decision for me. Um, now telling my kids, that's a whole different thing. You're right. Because when I tell them that we're no longer going to be at Western Michigan, my daughter, Emily, who's nine, and my my other daughter, Alyssa, seven, and then my other fourteen year old stepson. You know, the the tears um, were really really difficult to handle. I had to explain to them that this is, and you got to spin it, you know, to your own family. This is going to be a good thing. Daddy's going to be home more. Um, I'm I'm not I'm not going to be on the road as much. Um, that part of things. One of the that that was the single hardest thing that I had to do is to watch your your family break into tears. And then the other hardest part was just the players. Uh, it was a very emotional locker room. I don't think they expected it um, to happen. And so, you know, you also have 
uh, 14 kids' lives and their families that go up in the air with this. Also, all of their futures become uncertain. You basically have, we had two seniors, you basically have 12 free agents. You mentioned transfers. So you have 12 free agents in today's world as well. Two of those kids, even after uh, they named the head coach, the new head coach, um, uh, who was a former assistant, um, even after they named him, we had two players uh, that decide to leave. Um, Brandon Johnson's going to Minnesota, and, and Mike Flowers is going to South Alabama. Those were our two leading scorers. So it was very difficult to watch everybody go through all that. But, yes, your family, um, by far the most difficult thing with the kids. Um, you know, I'll, I'll survive. Um, you know, I'm a survivor when it comes to that stuff. And really, really looking forward to the next year of the podcast whatever else uh, comes my way. And then we'll get to next spring. If I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, then I'll, I'll stay in it. Um, if, if I'm not enjoying it and, and, uh, and coaching presents itself again, I don't think coaching, I know coaching is not out of my blood. You know, it's saving your, your dad uh, forever and, uh, and in your life. So uh, it, that, that, that part of things is still there for me for sure also. Hawk, you're a good man. You're an even better coach, or a good coach, even better man. I really appreciate you joining me. I can't wait to be on your podcast and to find out what's next. And um, I'm guessing it'll be a sideline somewhere in the, uh, in the future. In the meantime, take care of those kiddos and your wife, and thanks so much for joining me. Doug, you're the best, my friend. I appreciate you having me on. Enjoyed it. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific. Great to catch up with Steve Hawkins, really good dude who obviously this it's like a traumatic time, right? Like you go through, you go through getting fired. I guess the good news is you go through getting fired, but all these years you had spent working and grinding and out in the road recruiting. And now you get to spend time with your kids and now he's done it and we'll see what happens in the future. Hope, hope you enjoyed uh, getting a chance to know his story, which is really amazing, being a sense of the chauffeur for John Wooden, right? <laughs> to being the head coach for 17 years at Western Michigan and at, in his mid-50s, having a chance to go on and coach somewhere else in the, in the near future. Hey, thanks so much for listening, downloading, subscribing. Don't forget to rate us. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and this is All Ball. Tom Brady stole the show. Now she's talking about it on the latest episode of the Nikki Glaser podcast. I said, tell Tom Brady that I'm the Tom Brady of roasting. Lots of people roasted the goat, but only Nikki is still being talked about. Every time I refresh my DMs, it's 14 blue check marks of people I didn't even know who knew me are writing like paragraphs to me. Hear that in all episodes of the Nikki Glaser podcast on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Nikki Glaser podcast to start listening. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at First, first listen. listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.